through my responses to the socio-political issues and ideologies of the day, do they match up with a biblical response? Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 20th, 2017. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message entitled, The World Engines, Peter and the Biblical Response to Racism. Does my response to how this cosmos, to how what happens in this world, what happens outside of the doors of my church, outside the doors of my house, does my response to that match a biblical response, meaning obedience to the Holy Spirit, obedience to the Word of God that Peter did, or does it match what the cosmos say I'm supposed to do? Pastor Olu speaks about racism and how we as world engines are to respond biblically. He also reminds us how the scripture teaches us to love even our enemies. Now he'll be reading from the book of Acts. So feel free to grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. A couple things. One, <laughs> I was talking to Steve yesterday and my son. I've been saying world machines, the, the kind of the theme of what we've been doing. It's not technically called a world machine. It's called the world engine. I was doing some DC uh, research <laughs> this week. It's actually called the world engine. So I'm gonna have to go back into all those other messages and replace machine with engine. Uh, uh, but it, it's same concept, but it's just world engine. That's the one thing. Uh, but the other thing, when we're talking about world engine, when we're talking about world machine, how that we as the body of Christ, our responsibility is to get into the system of this world and to transform this world into the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and in doing that, we looked at, we've been looking at Paul and how he has been coming up with obstacles and how he has been defending the truth of the gospel everywhere that he went. The past weekend, there was an incident in Charlottesville. A lot of things went on. You know about it. The alt-right and KKK and white supremacists went out and they were Banding together, they had torches, walking down the street, saying some things. I don't know, anybody saw the Vice? Anybody look at the Vice video? That's a Vice video out. Some, some heinous things were said and whatnot. Kind of got your emotions going and whatnot. But in, in looking at that and watching the responses of people, responses of people who were there, the responses of people I ran and come in contact with, Responses to people at work. You know, it's kind of a touchy subject when you talk about race at work. You want to make sure you're very careful these days. Responses of people on my timeline. You know, it's crazy we're talking about timelines. But the responses of the different types of people on, on your timelines and the different debates. And, and I kind of stayed out of it this week because I was just praying and thinking. Because my, my question was, what is a biblical response to this? As world machines... As world changers, as world engines, as the body of Christ, what is our biblical response to the events of last week? And not only last week, but just to this whole thing of racism and and bigotry and and all of that. What is the biblical response to that? And so I I looked at the scriptures and and it was interesting that the scriptures drew me to what we've been talking about the entire time. Book of Acts, the first Century, the church, what was going on and what was going on at that time. So we're going to take some time today. We're going to look at that and kind of understand, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen the responses on timelines and with people I run into and, and news stations, the CNN, MSNBC, the Fox News, the ABC, the NBC, just, just looking at the responses to this. And I'm thinking, and, and I've seen Christian responses and responses from pastors and religious people and holy people. And I was just wondering, but what, is, what does the Bible say? So that's what we're going to look at today. I wanted to start off with, you know, when you talk about racism, and you'll know this is not going to be a political message. I'm not a political preacher. But just to put in context what we're talking about, it's very hard to go to a dictionary and look up a word like racism because it's so complex. Uh, and, and there are studies on it and sociology studies and psychology studies on it. And, and in all my research, I think this was the best definition that really captured what I think the, the term is meant when we say racism. It refers to a variety of practices, beliefs, social relations, and phenomena that work to reproduce an ethnic, a cultural, a national, or tribal hierarchy, meaning there's a list, somebody's at the top, somebody's second, somebody's third, some hierarchy, and a social structure. So, and it's based on 
your culture or your ethnicity or your nationality or your tribe. There's kind of an order of who's at the top, and then there's a structure. So based on your ethnicity, you need to do this. You're structured here. And based on your culture, you're structured here. But all of that, that yield, and here's the problem, superiority, power, and privilege for some, and discrimination and oppression for others. So when you look at racism in that way, it throws a whole lot of things into this, not just the color of your skin. In the Bible time in the first century, when we're talking about world machines and world engines, the Apostle Paul and Peter and James, they were in a time where this kind of stuff was prevalent. It was crazy. Before the Romans took over, it was the Greeks. And so the Greeks, they felt that they were better than anybody because they were the culture. They're the one who brought up poems, I like to say poems, and art and sculptures, and language. Matter of fact, the Greeks walked around, they thought they were so cool that anybody that wasn't Greek, they called barbarian. You know where barbarian come from? Barbarian wasn't even a real word. Barbarian, they said they call them barbarians because when you heard these non-Greek talks, it don't even make no sense what come out of their mouth. Their language is so jacked up, it just sounds like bar, 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 bar. You know the girl on, uh, 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 what is it, uh, Charlie Brown? The teacher on Charlie Brown, you can understand what he's saying? Womp, 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 womp. That's what they said. The Greeks said, anybody else who's not Greek, that's what they sound like. Bar, 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 bar. So we call them barbarians. And that was the, their culture. The Romans came along after that, and they continued that thing. Anybody who wasn't cultured or, or Roman or Greek, they called them barbarians because of that. You get to the, um, to the Jews, even the Jews. And the Romans also, they also, the Romans didn't really discriminate against race or color of skin, that wasn't their thing. They really didn't care too much about that. But the Romans, they discriminated more on the culture or your social standing, where you were. Rich folks, non-rich folks, the slaves, the non-slaves, the culture where you're from. So if you're from the Roman culture, you were embraced. If you're not, you were called whatever, barbarian. And there's a lot of bigotry and extreme nationalism and xenophobia and all that around with the Romans. He had the Jews, God's chosen people. And what happened with the Jews was they turned the fact that God had blessed them. Remember, they were God's chosen people. And so God blessed them. Well, the reason God blessed them was so that they could be, Isaiah tells us, I mean, the Old Testament tells us, a blessing to other nations. It wasn't just, I'm going to pick you Jews because I love you and you're the best of everybody and, and forget everybody else. No. The reason God chose the Jews was because he said, I'm going to choose you. And this through this nation, I'm going to use you, Jews, to bless the Greeks. Romans, the Africans, the Irish, the English, every nation. And that my blessing would flow through you. What happened was the Jews took that chosen, that blessing, which we use as an example in the blessing of the nation, and they twisted it. And they twisted that election or that choosing into one of favoritism. And so they used to walk around filled with a, a perverted racial pride. Oh, we're God's chosen people, and the rest of you are heathens. As a matter of fact, they had hatred to other nations and other people. They split it into either you were Jew or you were Gentile. And so the Gentiles, there was hatred toward them. There were built-in traditions uh, 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 that was built to further distance themselves from other nations. As a matter of fact, they used to use the term uncircumcised. Well, these uncircumcised Gentiles. Now, that term wasn't used just to, to denote that they weren't uncircumcised. It was like a racial slur, you know? It was like, oh, look at that, uncircumcised. And that's how they portray, uh, uh, discuss or talk to or refer to other people. You used to call them dogs, if you were in jail, oh, that dog over there. As a matter of fact, if a Jewish person, let's say a Jewish son went out and married a Gentile or a non-Jew, what would happen back at that time was the family of the Jew boy, Jewish son, his family would have a funeral for him. They would go, they get together, they dressed in black and sackcloth and ashes, and they would have a funeral. Because because their son married somebody who wasn't a Jew, he was dead to them. That was a mentality during that time. And so, and, and then the Gentiles, they looked as Jews as they were subhuman. You know, these Jews, they can't even do nothing. They've been attacked by the Babylonians, by the Medes, by the Persians, by the Greeks. They didn't slave by the Romans, these guys. And so during that time, all this racial, this social 
this ethnic, this cultural, this national, this tribal hierarchy and structure was going on during the time when Jesus came. We looked at last week, when, well, a couple weeks ago, when Paul said, in due time, God sent his son. So that was going on during that time. In that time, and enter the world engines or the world machines. During the first century, the world engines, they were called the church, the body of Christ. They were selected out and called a peculiar people, a different people. And God called them to go out and infect or to change the world so that this world, this cosmos would look like the kingdom of heaven. And they were to go and the, the, the scientific word is terraform. It's a kind of a science fiction word. I said science loosely. But the terraform means to go to some type of earth. Terra is earth form, just control. And so the terraform means to go into uh, uh, to uninhabitable worlds, into ones, turn them or transform into one that has an identical atmosphere, identical temperatures, identical ecology, and identical topography as where you come from. And so the world engines, what God was doing, what Christ was doing, he was sending this people, this peculiar people to this world to change it, the atmosphere, the topography, the ecology, into what heaven looked like and what heaven felt like. And they had to do that in the midst of all this phenomena, these practices and beliefs and social relations that reproduced this hierarchy and social structure that said that these people are superior and powerful and privileged, but these people we're going to discriminate with and oppress. So during this time, and we know that Paul, when we talked about Paul, God sent Paul to the Gentiles. But before Paul got his license to go and do that, God didn't wait for Paul. In Acts, turn with me to chapter 10, you will see a story about a young man. I don't know if he was young, but his name was Cornelius. And uh, I want you to go back this week and and read Acts chapter 10. We're not going to get into it, but Acts chapter 10 talks about Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Roman. Actually, he was a, uh, 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 they say he was a Greek, but we think he was a Roman centurion. Okay. Uh, And a a Roman centurion was uh, in the Roman army, the Roman soldiers. He led about 100 Roman soldiers. So they were broken down. And this Roman guy, this Cornelius guy, he had converted to Judaism. So he decided, you know, I believe in God, uh, uh, not Christianity, because this was before. Remember, Christianity was just stopping. But, you know, he believed in God and he worshiped God. And and because of that, everybody knew he was a good guy. The Bible says he gave to the poor and he gave to the sick and to the shut in. And during this time, God sent an angel to Cornelius and he told him, hey, Cornelius, you need to get saved because I've done something new here. Like Padilla talked about, I've done something new here, this salvation, this new covenant. And you're still with the old covenant, so you need to become with this new covenant, this Jesus, and ask him into your heart and become a, a, a Christian, follow other way. So go find this guy named Peter and bring him back, and he'll tell you about me. So Cornelius, this Roman guy, and he was in Caesarea, he sent three of his guys to go find Peter. And so he went and found Peter. Peter came. Uh, uh, it's a whole story about that. So Peter eventually came, and Peter walked into his house. He preached the gospel, and there was conversion. This Roman guy, this Gentile, this non-Jew was converted. He became a Christian. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Gentile Pentecost happened after that. So, you know, Pentecost was like Acts chapter 1, when Christ, the Holy Spirit came. And the Bible said the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews that was in the upper room. Well, it was for the Jewish. But that was the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, where the Holy Ghost came. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost came and fell upon the Gentiles, Cornelius and all that was in his house. And so they were converted. They got saved. Matter of fact, they were baptized right after that in verse 44 uh, and 48. So this is amazing. Okay, this is what Paul even started. So now we've got these Gentiles, these quote unquote dogs, these uncircumcised people who apparently God was cool with such that he sent his Holy Spirit. And that was a verification that God was doing something different around this time. And so when you get to Acts chapter 11, think about that. Peter comes back to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 11, verse 1. He comes back to Jerusalem and he's like, oh man, I can't believe it. We just witnessed to these Gentiles, these Romans, these dogs, these uncircumcised, and they got saved. 
The Holy Spirit came and we baptized him. This is incredible what's going on. And so he walks back into Jerusalem, which was the home of the church. And he walks into church and the Bible says, verse 1, uh, Acts chapter 10. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Oh, my goodness. This is incredible. Not just this is just for the Jews. This is also for the Gentiles. Verse two. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, all excited to tell everybody the circumcision party criticized him. Saying you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. I I thought it was funny how it says the circumcised party. Peter had done this amazing thing through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went back to the church, the body of Christ, to the apostles and the other believers that were there, excited, and they came out and criticized him. Matter of fact, if you looked at the word there, uh, 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 they they said you went to their home? Because remember, a Jew couldn't go to a Gentile's home. You ate with them? And if you remember, Jews weren't supposed to eat. With Gentiles. You spent the night over their house? That was what the British traditions were. That was the customs during that time that you weren't supposed to deal with, eat with, associate with anybody who didn't look like you, act like you, think like you. And so the apostles, James, Thaddeus, Andrew, They looked at him and said, we can't believe you did this, man. What's wrong? You lost your mind? And the Bible said they criticized them. That word criticize means to separate thoroughly. I mean, they chopped them up. They dug into them. They condemned them. They judged them harshly. They said, how could you do this? How could you go and deal with these unholy, uncircumcised people? That blew my mind when I read that, that it was the apostles that was doing that. They were criticizing him for his obedience to the word of God. Because see, Peter just didn't hop out and go. God told him to go. It's interesting that they were criticizing him, the body of Christ, apostles, the brethren, were criticizing him for his obedience to God. Not only that, to his obedience and to his biblical response to the socio-political ideologies. That's a big word that was going on during that time. So during that time, the social or how I deal with others' people, how I socialize, or the political, what's right, what's wrong, what's legal, what's not legal. The ideas or the ideologies during that time with the Jews were that you don't associate with them, you don't talk to them, you don't eat with them, you don't sleep over their house, much less share your God with them or share your religion with them. That's, you don't do that. And so what Peter was doing, according to the Holy Spirit, he was stepping out against that. He had a biblical response to the socio-political ideologies that were going on during that day. And because he responded biblically, and I say biblically because he followed the word of God, the word of the Lord. Because he responded biblically, he was criticized. He was chopped up, that word means. It's interesting that racism or, or, or these practices, beliefs, and social relations, this racism didn't sneak into the body of Christ. It was brought along with the members. Remember, the body of Christ, the church, was founded by Jews. It started off with the Jews. And so these are people who God, the Bible says, they heard the message and they were saved, and 5,000 came and another 5,000 came. But these people were coming, they were Jews. And they came along with their history. They came with their perverted racial pride. We are better. They brought that into the body of Christ. They came with their hatred toward others. They brought that into the body of Christ. They came in with their built-in traditions that perpetuated the variety of practices and beliefs and social relations and phenomenon that work to produce an ethnic, cultural, national, or tribal hierarchy and social structure that yield superiority, power, and privilege for some and discrimination and oppression for others. When they came into the body of Christ, when they came in Christ, they brought that stuff with them. 
And so you have these world machines, these world changers, these world engines who have this hatred and racial, perverted racial pride and traditions that they brought along with them in the body of Christ. And what had happened was the church allowed those social political atmospheres and temperatures, what everybody was doing and how everybody approached it, the church had allowed that to come in. They took the language of that. They took the emotions of that. They took the talking points of that. And they brought that into the body of Christ and it remained there such that the body of Christ, God's folks, God's people, God's body was resembling, looked like, act like, thought like those same folks they were supposed to go out there and change. The body of Christ was doing that. Such that the apostles and leaders looked at Peter like, what is wrong with you? You lost your mind? We don't do that. You know our traditions. You know how we live. You know how we do. That very cosmos, the cosmos means the world, the society. The Bible says you're not of this world. The Greek word there is cosmos. It means the society. That very society they were told to destroy or to transform, they were embracing and bringing that in. They had forgotten the great commandment and the great commission. We talked about that. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul." Because of that, God told them before he left, Jesus told him, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. That was their command. That was their commission. All the world. You think they went into all the world? Nah. They were just chilling with their folks. People who had the same cultures as them, the same nationality, the same ethnicity as them. And so God was like, we got to, something got to change. Just got to go. So what happened? How about in my life? The question that I would ask us is, do my responses, now this is from a biblical point of view, do my responses to the socio-political issues and ideologies of the day, do they match up with a biblical response? Now that, that's, that's, that's pretty much the basic of the whole message today. Does my response to how this cosmos, to how what happens in this world, what happens outside of the doors of my church, Outside the doors of my house. Does my response to that match a biblical response, meaning obedience to the Holy Spirit, obedience to the word of God that Peter did? Or does it match what the cosmos say I'm supposed to do? Does it match my traditions? Does it match my uh, 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 beliefs? Does it match those uh, pride that I brought in with me when I walked into this thing called in Christ? Does it line up with the great commandments? Turn with me to Matthew 22. This doesn't just apply to racism. This applies to all my responses to everything that goes on. How do I respond when people treat me bad? How do I respond when somebody lie on me? How do I respond when somebody come out their mouth sideways? How do I respond when I'm in trouble? How do I respond when I'm hurt? How do I respond when I'm sick? How do I respond when I ain't got no money for this? How do I respond when things ain't going right? How do I respond when my wife ain't acting right? How do I respond when my husband ain't acting right? How do I respond when my kids ain't doing what they supposed to do? All of those responses, how I interact with social, social, how I socialize with people, how I interact with people and political, those rules, those laws, those things that are say we're supposed to do. How I respond to that should be biblical. And so the question is, does it line up with the great commandments? Matthew 22, verse uh, 37 and 38 says this. This is Jesus talking. And he said to them, verse 37, you should love your God. This is the great commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. For this is the great and first commandment. Watch this verse. And the second commandment is like it. So what Jesus was saying was the first commandment, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And he said the second commandment flows right from that. If you do that, then you will also be following the second commandment, which says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So not only are you supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, the Bible says that you are to love Jesus said. He was transforming this thing. You should love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you love yourself? You love yourself? You take care of yourself? What do you do because you love yourself? You take care of yourself. Make sure you're clean. You try to steer away from hurt, harm, and danger. You just don't run out in the middle of highways. You know, there's things you do to protect yourself. Why? Because you love yourself. There's a reaction to that. And so what Jesus said, because of this great commandment that we're supposed to follow, because why? We're following our leader, our head, who is Christ. And as world machines, as world changes, as world engines, we talked about the great commission and the great commandment. 
The Bible says that I am supposed to treat others, my brother, who are my neighbor? Those are people I deal with, people I see, people I come in contact with, people I don't see, people in the same world I am. The Bible says I'm supposed to treat them and love them and treat them like myself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you should love them. So the question is, is my response love? Now, love is interesting. I heard somebody say, you know, for all those white supremacists, they, didn't, they weren't born hateful for other races. They were taught hate. And if they were taught hate, they can be taught to love. And everybody's like, oh, yes, taught to love because they were taught to hate. And I'm like, nah, it's not a teaching thing. It's a heart thing. This is something that's innate in us, in the actual fabric of who you are. And the only thing to transform that is love. And not just love like, oh, I love you. Oh, I want to hug some white supremacists today. That's, 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 that's not what love is. The Bible says love is an active word. And it means that I am trying to do and look out for and make sure that all my responses to you is everything that's in the best interest for you. And that's what I'm looking for, the best interest. So I'm going to treat you with the best interest. Because I love Janiah, when she was two years old, I would not let her let go of my hand walking down the street and run into the sidewalk and run into the street and get hit by a car. Why? Because I loved her. So when she tried to break her free and let go, I didn't let her go. I held on to her. That's love. Okay? When Jaden was little, when he did something he didn't, wasn't supposed to do, I corrected him. Why? Because I loved him. That's what love does. Love says, I'm looking out for the best interest of you. So that stove is hot. So I don't want you to run in the kitchen and touch that stove. So when he goes there and tries to touch the stove, I take his hand, I pop his hand. Don't touch that stove because daddy told you to and you don't want to touch that stove. Not because I love popping his hand, but because I know what's best for him because love says I'm looking out for his best interest. Instead of his hand getting burned, I'm stopping him from doing that. So that's what love does. The question is, do my responses to the socio-political things in the world today, do they resemble love? And also, do they line up with the Great Commission? Because, see, that's what my mission should be. I'm a world machine. I'm a world engine. I keep saying it. I'm a world changer. And so my commission, what I'm commanded to do is to go out and make disciples. That's what I'm commanded to do. And so the question is, does my response to what I see happening into the world does my response line up to me being and following the Great Commission? Those are what my two priorities should be. You see, there's a separation between the ideologies, and ideologies is a big word, just means the ideas. So Lowe's has some ideas about life. And so his ideas about life kind of dictate the decision that he makes and the things that he does. Los just seems like a chill guy. He's not really, nothing pretty much riles him up. So his ideals are just, you know, um, chill. I see craziness and psycho, psychoticness going around around me, but my ideals are, I really don't involve myself in all that mess, so I'm chill. You got some people who like mess and like to be involved and be in the stuff. That's their ideologies. So when we talk about ideologies, that's what we mean, your ideas that help govern you, that make you decide what you do. Our responses, there should be a separation between the ideologies and the person holding those ideologies. Now listen to me now. A separation between the ideologies and the person that's holding on to those ideologies. See, my response to the ideologies should be, I take my guide, which is the word of God, and I lined up the said ideology or the said idea, and I lined that up alongside the scriptures and to see if it lines up. This is a ruler. This is a measuring stick. And so I take any thoughts out there, any ideas, any concepts, and I take those concepts and I line them up with scripture and I see, does this match? If it matches, if it measures up, great. Then I'm cool with that ideology and we're going to move with that and that's great. But if it doesn't, watch this. If those ideas, because of my nationality, I am superior to you. And I should be in charge of everything, and you should get out my country. You should get away from me. Or you should be subservient to me because of who I am, because how I was born. I take those ideologies, and I line up the scriptures, and I say the scripture says that there are no Greek, there are no Jew, there are no rich, no poor in Christ. I look at scriptures, and I say that God created us all. 
And I said, okay, well, that ideology doesn't line up with my guidebook, with my ruler. And so when I come to that idea, where that, when I come to that, when the ideology or that concept doesn't line up with the scripture, what's the first thing I do? The first thing I do, I go, well, let me go tell this dude, hey, you wrong. Listen, the Bible said it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the first thing that I do when I find out that that ideology is in line with scripture, the Bible says the first thing I do is to look at Olu, self in the mirror. And the Bible says, first take the log out of my eye before I go and take the speck of dust out of his eye. See, that's the part we skip. See, we're so holy and so righteous, and we're so, oh my goodness, racism is of the devil. And those KKK people, they are, I tell you, like how can they think those things, discrimination? Oh, let's get out. We need to rally. We need to get out there and do this and do that. And yeah, you should. But the Bible says you take that ideology, you line it up with the scripture, and if it doesn't line up, if it's wrong, the first thing you do is you look it and you line that thing up to with you and you say, okay, am I racist? Do I have practices? Are there things that I do that kind of put some hierarchy in the world as far as people are concerned? Is there some beliefs that I have in myself where I have this quiet and holy section where this group of people or, or this class of people is a little bit better and these class, you got to look out for them, boy. This message is like was tearing me up all week, man. It, me up. I'm talking Olu. Because I got those, man. I wouldn't consider myself a racist. But I started thinking of some of the practices I have. Some of the beliefs I have about certain groups of people. And I'm like, oh, snap. I'm just as worse as them white boys out there with them torches marching around saying all those sayings and all those slogans. Because that, that's, oh, that's vile. Oh, I can't believe that. But the little inner racism I have and those inner beliefs and those inner relations. I think about my social relations. Who do I socially relate to? Do I have authentic and genuine relationships with people who don't look like me? Or don't look like my wife? <laughs> Clear that up. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Do I have genuine, authentic? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. The Bible tells me I'm supposed to love with all my heart. Lord God, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and I'm supposed to be the Great Commission. And then I say, okay, well, who do the people I hang with? Who do the people I roll with? Who do the people I have genuine relationships with? And why is it? Why is it that the people I have genuine, authentic relationships with look like either me or my wife? Hmm. Well, I'm just comfortable around. You know, we, we kind of think the same way. We eat kind of the same food. So it's comfortable. It's comfort. Is that one of those phenomenas that I use because I'm more comfortable? Think about it. You go to a church. Well, I'm not comfortable in a white church, you know, because they, well, I'm not comfortable in a Spanish church because they, well, I ain't comfortable in a black church. So, you know, you want to be somewhere where you're comfortable. Really? Is that, is that, really, is that, that what the measuring stick says? God had told Peter, and he says that, and we are to look at our responses. I think about the response of the church folk when I was dating Melissa. The church folk. People love God with all their heart and mind and soul, and God God cracked the sky, they're going to be in heaven. But I remember some of the comments that people said. Well, listen here, Olu, uh... You know, you, you should probably stick with your own kind. Oh, yeah. You should probably stick with your own kind. And not because I'm racist or nothing, but because, you know, it's better. You know, because you know the culture and, and it's probably going to be harder, you know, to doing that. So it's best to kind of just, if you're going to marry somebody, it's best to marry somebody who looks like you and comes from the same background as you. It's just going to be easier because marriage is hard in and of itself. And if you bring that aspect into it, it's just going to make it worse. That sounds like it makes some logical sense. But when I line it up with scripture, I'm like, hmm. Now, Olu, if you do that, you're going to have kids, and those kids are going to be mixed. <laughs> and you know, in this world today, the world don't accept mixed kids. 
Yeah, they're going to be confused. They're not going to know who they are. Are they black? Are they Puerto Rican? They're going to be so confused, and they're going to grow up confused and live a hard life because they don't know who they are. No, no, this is literal people literally told people were close to me, literally had this conversation with me. And I took that, and I lined that up with the rule of the scripture. And the scripture said that I'm supposed to find my identity. My identity is in Christ. Not in the color of my skin. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud. I'm black. I mean, I got red flags. I mean, a red, red, black, and green flag. You see the tat on my arm? I'm proud. I don't want to be nothing else but what God made me. And I'm excited about that and the heritage and what I'm going through and what my people are going through and how God has brought us through. But when that pride becomes perverted, when that pride becomes such that I think myself a little higher than or better than, or that pride becomes that I think I'm going to separate and only deal with people who are also of that heritage, now I'm getting into something that's a little shaky. No, it's not a little shaky. It's as vile as them white supremacists with them torches marching around in Charlottesville. That's what we got to see. Because when we allow that little stuff, I'm just comfortable around my kind. Oh, you should marry your kind because, you know, it's just be easier. Or, you know what, I like churches to go to where people look like me and worship like me and sing like me. No, 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 no. So that's how that stuff gets in. That's what had happened in the first century. They had brought that in, and they were lining up the ideologies and different things outside of what God had said or what God had commanded. So that's the response to ideologies. But the response to the person, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. So the response to those ideologies is to line it up with the scripture. Oh, by the way, after I get the stick out of my eye, then I can go and get the speck out of the other person's eye. See, that, that doesn't mean I'm not supposed to do that. So I'm supposed to hold up the scriptures no matter what. And so if I have a conversation with that white nationalist or that other person who is going against the scripture, I will say, thus saith the Lord. Not out of pride for me, because I didn't write it. But this is what the Bible says, and the Bible gives us what's best for us to live in this society. So you are wrong, my friend, my brother, that's according to what I say, my brother, my sister, you are wrong because you don't line up with what the Bible says. So I do have a responsibility to do that because why? I'm a world machine. I'm a world changer. I'm supposed to go into the world and change up the structure. I'm supposed to go in the world and change up the ideologies to match what heaven looks like. So that is my responsibility. But before I do that, I better make sure I got the spec, the, the log out of my eye. And I got to make sure that I'm doing it not out of pride or hatred or discrimination myself, but out of love. Luke chapter 6, what's my response to that person? That guy with the torch and with the swastika and with the confederate flag, and with the, we hate the Jews, or we hate the blacks, or we hate the gays. What is my response to them in Christ? Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Let me get there. Luke chapter 6, 27, Jesus said, but I say to you here, love your what? Say it again. Enemies. Love your enemies. Oh, that's people who are out to get you. People don't like you. People who want you dead. People who are trying to kill you. People trying to destroy you. Jesus said, world machines, world engines, body of Christ, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. He's cursing at you. He hates you. Bless him. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you in the cheek, offer the other one also. For the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As, and as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Then he goes to say, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? For even as heathens do that, sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? For the sinners do that too. But love, I'm skipping down, but verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high, daughters of the most high, for he is kind, hallelujah, to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your father in heaven is merciful. Now that's, that's some mind shaking, law changing stuff right there. That don't make no sense. That's not what I'm taught. That's not what the sociopolitical ideologies of the world say. But I ain't supposed to be that. I'm supposed to be a peculiar person. 
I'm supposed to react differently. I'm supposed to have a different response. My response should be biblical. So I take my response and how I feel when I see that hate on the TV. When I see that, I take that and I say, okay, what's my response to that? My response is found here. And so I line up not only what they're doing, but I also line up my emotions to this. And I line up my actions to this. And I line up how I feel to this. And say, am I feeling how I'm supposed to feel when I see that? Because I'm not supposed to let the Olu feelings dictate how I feel. I'm supposed to let this dictate how I feel. Why? Because I am in Christ. Why? Because I'm a world machine. I'm a world changer. I'm a world engine. I'm in the body of Christ. So that's how my response is supposed to be. We do things differently. We talked about a couple of, a couple of months ago, a message we talked about in Luke 13. I remember there was a tower that fell down and a bunch of people died in Luke. And one of the governors went and killed a bunch of Jews. And the disciples, they came to Jesus and said, what in the world? Why did this thing happen? And Jesus said, this happened so that you can repent. You see, the events that we see in the world today, the things that go on in the social and the political arena of the world, they happen God allows them to happen so that I can look at Olu, so that Ray can look at Ray, so B can look at B. Tone can look at Tone and say, okay, based on that, how am I? Because that's my response. That's how I become a world machine. That's why I become a world engine, by doing that. And so Peter walked back, and those people were, they were upset. The apostles and the brothers, they were upset. Because God had changed the game. Go back, turn back with me to Acts chapter 11. And so starting with verse 4, Peter said when he heard that, can't believe you ate with those uncircumcised dogs. What's wrong with you, man? Verse 4, Peter's chapter 11, verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Hmm. Peter told them what happened, and you can look at it in chapter 10, but he just recounts it here. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in the trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heaven of its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, <laughs> for nothing common or unclean has ever touched my lips. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. The Jews had laws, ceremonial laws. One of the laws was you weren't supposed to eat some type of thing, different types of food. As a matter of fact, these laws weren't just something they said, oh, we're supposed to do. This became their identity. They were known as the folks who didn't eat pork. That's what they were known as. Oh, they're going to non-pork eaters over there. And they walked around that with pride. That's right. We don't eat that filthy swine, you filthy dogs. That was part of their identity. That was who they are. That's how their mama raised them. That's how their daddy raised them. That was their tradition. And so when Peter was sleeping and God brought this, these uh, animals down that has some of these pigs in it, and God said, Peter, kill a pig and eat the pig, Peter said, I will not do that. that. First of all, that's bold. This is God telling him to do something. And he said, nah, 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 nah. I ain't about that life, God. When the last time you said that? When the last time you looked at God and said, I ain't about that life? That's what Peter said. And God told him, he said, oh, nothing like that has ever touched my holy lips. That's not how we do. That's not what we do. That's not what my people do. Power to the people. What was God's response to that. God said, listen, don't you ever call anything filthy or polluted or defiled that I have already made clean. You see, that was one of their ancestral traditions, a distinctive identifying mark. That was their identity, who they are. It wasn't a matter of, well, we don't eat this food because we don't like it. Oh, we're gluten. No, I'm vegetarian. No, this was, this lay at the heart of the Jewish identity. This laid at the heart of who they were. I wanted to read this because this is from a book, a guy named James Dunn. It's called The Beginning from Jerusalem, Christianity in the Making. And what he said was, what was at stake here was the character of the new movement as a Jewish movement 
And the process of identity transformation, I like that term, identity transformation. There was going to have to be a transformation in identity for this new thing, this body of Christ, this followers of the way, to work. So what was at stake was the character. Who were these people going to be? Was it to remain still loyal to the now traditional distinctive features of the covenant people of the Jews? Were you still power to the people? Were you still holding on to those traditional features? Or was it to be loyal to the principles and practice for which the martyrs had died and heroes and heroines had been willing to sacrifice everything? From this point on, Peter and the brothers, apostles, and the believers of Jerusalem would have assumed the answer to be yes. But, not, but now, that should be now, Peter was faced with one of the most radical rethinks of religious principle imaginable. One of the most radical rethinks. Think about that. This is one of the most radical rethinks imaginable that now I, who've been taught my traditions to hate these people, I taught to be, have pride against these people, to taught to separate myself to these people, to taught that I'm better than these people. That was in innate pride. Now listen, boy, you look out for them white folks. You ain't trusting white folks now. Something, I, something that you teach and you train. This is what I was, this is my tradition. God said, now I'm going to radically destroy. I'm blowing this thing up. And so the character of these group of people was at stake here. What you going to do? Peter said, no, nah, I'm not eating that. The question is, what's your response? What's your response when things that have been taken for granted as fundamental or defining principles are challenged by God? What's your response when the status quo or how my people do it or how it's always been done? What's your response when that's challenged by the scripture or by a biblical worldview? Jesus didn't just say, oh, well, you know what? Y'all weren't supposed to eat pig before, but pretty much it was just kind of a, a, a metaphor. So, like, it's okay to eat pigs now, but you still be careful with the pig. No. He said, you know what, yeah, that's what it was. But I'm going to take the truth and the value of that distinction. I'm going to deny it altogether. It was a nullification. He took that thing and he destroyed it. And he warned against continuing to recognize that standard as necessary or essential after it ceased to be in Christ. He said, now you are in Christ. So that standard, that ancestral traditions, all that stuff that was essential, that was necessary, it's no more now because we're doing something new here. That's what happened when you take those things in your life that you've been doing, that you've been living, that you've been thinking, and you line it up with the scriptures and you see what it is. Peter had legitimate excuses. No, Lord, this has never tested my lips. It's the law. It was legitimate. It's how it's always been. It's currently, Lord, what the majority embraces. Now, I'm looking on my timeline, and I'm seeing how everyone responds, so this is, must be how I'm supposed to respond, because he got a church, and he loved Jesus, and she's singing a choir. It was time for Peter to change his heart, and it's time for us to change our heart. Peter said, by no means, Lord. He thought he got some pride for that. But it's required a heart change. The heart is the mind, emotion, the will, your mind. How he, how he internally thought towards people who were outside of his culture, ethnicity, nationality. His emotion, how he felt toward them. How do you feel when you see that? And then his will. That will is that faculty of the mind which selects the strongest desire from all those other desires and said, okay, I'm going to do that. Because you got choices. You got desires. You see something like that or you see things going on and your desires swell up. And you have a choice. Will says, which desire are you going to pick? And it ain't easy. The Bible says this happened three times. Eat it. No, Lord. Eat it. No, Lord. Eat it. No, Lord. Now, you know, Peter had a tradition of denying stuff three times. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? We back at this again? You remember what happened when the cock crowed, right? <laughs> it ain't easy. 
I'm going to close with uh, it's an old epistle written. We don't know who it was written by, but it was written to this guy named, and somebody help me pronounce this, Diognatus? Is that it? Okay. <laughs> Diognatus. It's called the, the Epistle of Diognatus. And it was written uh, by this Greek guy. And, and, and it was written, I think, somewhere around 130 to 300 AD. And it was an apology or a defense to this group of people called Christians. And when you look at it, it was written not by a Christian, from somebody who wasn't a Christian. And he wrote about these group of people and what they did and how they lived. But it was interesting, in that text, he called them the third race. He said, you had Jews, you had Gentiles, and then we had this new race of people who seemed to be doing stuff a little different, the third race, followers of the way. We are supposed to be the third race. Our identity is not in the color of my skin. The identity is not from which island I'm from. The identity is not what planet, what part of the planet I'm from. My identity is in Christ. And so my responses should be based on my identity. I'm going to stop there. Of course, I got 17 other pages. <laughs> because this thing is complex. So we'll continue this, still looking at it, how I'm supposed to respond as a world engine, as a world machine. So I pray, guys, that, 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 again, this is not just for racism. This is for everything. How, make sure your responses line up with this book right here. And make sure that I have living in and working toward my identity transformation. I want to identify with who I am in Christ. And all other things will fall in place. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray, God, that you would look into our hearts, God, and reveal to us that deep, that subtle, that quiet, that educated, that new racism. Those ideologies, God, those beliefs, those practices that we have, that we hold to, that are nice and innocent, but that keep us from doing your word and keep us from obeying you and the great commandment which says that I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. And those things inside us, God, that keep us from doing the great commission, be it fear, be it intimidation, whatever it is, God, that you would rise to the top, God. And you would allow us and help us to cut it off, God, so that we can be instruments for you. That all our responses to whatever happens is biblical, and that's the first thing that comes to mind, and that we'll find our identity in who we are in Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.